Hello, hello, this is the Fortations Live to Tape podcast. I'm recording these in a big batch, so I'm trying to get them all out as fast as I can, and then they'll trickle, trickle out to the podcast feed. But I am updating them uh, rather quickly on Twitter, so uh, this episode might come out uh, within a day or two of this recording. Uh, so there's that. Uh, we are reading the Junior Classics Volume 2, folk tales and myths and then uh, the photography we're going to have uh, playing in the background while I read this is going to be film photography from Flint so we're going to have black and white photography as well as uh, colored film photography so let's get started how the ferns of wolf was chained by E.M. William Buxton fair as the meads of Asgard we have seen that the as a folk were fond of wandering far afield in other regions. Most restless of all was the reed Loki, that con- the red Loki, that cunning fellow who was always bringing trouble upon himself or upon his kindred. And because he loved evil, he would often betake himself to the gloomy halls of the giant land and mingle with the wicked folk of that region. Now one day, he met a hideous giantess named Agrabada. This creature had a heart of ice, and because he loved ugliness and the evil she had, a great attraction for him. And in the end, he married her, and they lived together in a horrible cave in giant land. Three children were born to Loki and Agnaraborga in a dread abode, and they were even more terrible in appearance than their mother. The first was an immense wolf called Fairness, with a huge mouth filled with long white teeth, which he was constantly gnashing together. The second was a wicked-looking serpent with a fiercely red tongue rolling from its mouth. The third was a hideous giantess, partly blue and partly flesh-color, whose name was Hela. No sooner were these terrible children born than all the wise men of the earth began to foretell the misery they could bring upon the Aza folk. In vain did Loki try to keep them hidden within the caves wherein their mother dwelt. They soon grew so immense in size that no dwelling would contain them, and all the world began to talk of their frightful appearance. It was not long, of course, before all Father Odin from his high seat in Asgard heard the children of Loki, so he sent for some of the Azas and said, Much evil will come upon us, O my children, from this giant brood, if we defend not ourselves against them, for their mother will teach them wickedness, and still more quickly they will learn the cunning wiles of their father. Fetch me them here, therefore I will deal with them forthwith. So after somewhat of a struggle, the Azas captured the three giant children and brought them before Odin's judgment seat. Then Odin looked at first at Hela, and when he saw her gloomy eyes full of misery and despair, he was sorry and dealt kindly with her, saying, Thou art the bringer of pain to man, and Asgard is no place for such it thou. But I will make thee ruler of the mist home, and there shall thou rule over that enlightened world, the region of the dead. Forthwith he sent her away through rough roads to the cold dark region of the north called the mist home, and there did Hela rule over a grim crew, for all those who had done wickedness in the world above 
were imprisoned by her in those gloomy regions. To her came also those who had died, not on the battlefield, but of old age or disease, and though these were treated kindly enough, theirs was the joyless life in comparison with that of the dead warriors who were feasting and fighting in the halls of Valhalla, kindly under the kindly rule of all Father Odin. Having thus disposed of Helena, having thus disposed of Helena, Odin next turned his attraction to the serpent, and when he saw the evil tongue and cunning wicked eyes, he said, Thou art he brightest sin into the world of men, therefore the ocean shall be thy home for ever. Then he threw the horrid serpent into the deep sea which surrounds all lands, and there the creature grew so fast that when he stretched himself one day, he encircled all the earth and held his own tail fast in his mouth, and sometimes he grew angry to think that he, the son of a god, had thus been cast out, and at those times he would writhe with his huge body and lash his tail till the sea was spouted up to the sky, and when that happened, the men of the north said that a great tempest was raging, but it was only the serpent son of Loki writhing his wrath, writhing in his wrath. Then Odin turned to the third child, and behold, the furnace wolf was so appalled to look upon that Odin's feared to cast him forth, and he decided to endeavor to tame him by kindness so that he would not wish them ill. But when he bade them carry food to the furnace wolf, not one of the Azas would do so, for they feared a snap from his great jaws. Only the brave Tri, who had courage enough to feed him, and the wolf ate so much and so fast that the business took him all his time. Meantime, too, the furnace grew quickly and rapidly and became so fierce that the gods were compelled to take counsel and consider how they should get rid of him. They remembered that it would make their peaceful halls unholy if they were to slay him, and so they resolved instead to bind him fast that he should be unable to do them harm. So those of the Aza folk were, who were clever smiths set to work and made a very strong thick chain, and when it was finished they carried it out to the yard where the wolf dwelt, and said to him as though in jest, Here is a fine proof of thy boasted strength, O Ferris. Let us bind this about thee, that we may see if thou canst break it asunder. Then the wolf gave a great grin with his wide jaws and came and stood still, that they might bind and chain about him, as for they knew that he could do. And it came to pass, and directly they had fastened the chain, and had slipped aside from him, the greatest beast gave a, himself a shake, and the chains fell about him in little bits. At this the Azas were much annoyed, but they tried not to show it, and praised him for his strength. Then they set to work again on a chain much stronger than the last, and brought it to the fairest wolf, saying, Great will be thy reown, O Ferris, thou canst break this chain, as thou did the last. But the wolf looked at them and asked, for the chain they brought was much thicker than the one he had already broken. He reflected, however, that since that time he himself had grown stronger and bigger, and moreover that one must risk something in order to win renown. So he let them put the chain upon him, 
and when the Aza said that all was ready, he gave a good shake and stretched himself a few times, and again the fetters lay in fragments on the ground. Then the gods began to fear that they could never hold the wolf in bonds, and it was All-Father Odin who persuaded them to make one more attempt. So they sent a message to Dwarfland, bidding him ask the little men to make a chain with nothing could which nothing could possibly destroy setting at work setting at once to work the clever little smith soon fastened a slender silken rope and gave it to the messenger saying that no strength could break it and that the more it was strained the stronger it would become it was made of the most mysterious thing the sound of the cat's footsteps the roots of a mountain the sin sewers of a bear and the breath of fishes and other such strange materials which only the dwarfs knew how to use with this chain the messenger hastened back over the rainbow bridge to asgard by this time the fairest wolf had grown too big for his yard so he lived on a rocky island in the middle of a lake that lies in the midst of asgard as here the asa now betook themselves with their chain and began to play their part with the wily words see they cried o ferris here is a cord so soft and thin that none would think of it binding such a strength as thy as they laughed great laughs and handed it to one another and tried its strength by pulling at it with all their might it did not break then they came near and more wiles saying we cannot break the cord though it is stronger than it looks but thou so mighty one will be able to snap it in a moment but the wolf tossed his head in scorn and said small renown would thee be to would be to me o oh, as a folk if i were to break yon slender string save therefore your breath and leave me now alone ah cried the azaz thou fierce the might of this silken cord thou false one and that is why you will not let us bind thee no i said the fairest wolf growing rather suspicious but if it is made of which but if it is made which craft and gully it shall never come near my feet but said the asses thou wilt surely be able to bleak break this silken cord with ease since thou hast already broken the great iron fetters to this the wolf made no answer pretending not to hear come said the asses again why thou fear for even if thou could not break the cord we would immediately let thee free again to refuse is a coward's piece of work then the wolf gnashed his teeth at them in anger and said well i know you asses for if you bind me so fast that i cannot loose you will sulk away and it will be long before i can get help from you and therefore i loathe to let this band be laid upon me but still the asses continued to persuade him and to tilt him with cardance until the length of the until at length the fairest wolf said with a swollen growl have it your own way then but a pledge that this is done without deceit let one of you lay his hand in his hand in my mouth while you are binding me and afterwards i while i tried to break the bonds then the Aza folk looked at one another in dismay for they knew very well what this could mean and while they consulted together the wolf stood gnashing his teeth at them with a horrid grin at length tie and brave hesitated no longer boldly he stalked up the wolf and thrust his arm into the, its enormous mouth bidding the asses bind fast 
the beast. Scarce had they done so when the wolf began to strain and pull the more he did, so the tighter and stiffer the rope became. The gods shouted and laughed with glee when they saw how all his efforts were in vain, but Tri did not join in the mirth, for the wolf in his rage snapped his great teeth together and bit off his hand at the wrist. Now when the asses discovered that the animal was fast bound, they took the chain which was fixed to the rope and drew it through a huge rock and fastened this rock deep down in the earth so that he could never be moved, and this is and this they fastened to another great rock which was driven still deeper into the ground. When the first wolf found that he had been thus secured, he opened his mouth terribly wide and twisted himself right and left and tried his best to bite the as folk. He uttered, moreover, such terrible howls that at length the gods could bear it no longer, so they took a sword and thrust it into his mouth so that the hilt on his lower and the point against his upper jaw and there he was doomed to remain until the end of all things shall come when he freed the chain shall range the earth the story of the balder the beautiful by e m wilmot bexton far beyond all the sons of odin was balder the beautiful balder of the snow-white brow and golden locks and he was well beloved not only by the azur folk but by the men of the earth below of all the twelve round odin's throne balder the beautiful alone the sun god good and pure and bright was loved by all as love as all love light balder was a twin brother balder had a twin brother named holder who was born blind gloomy and silent was he but none the less he loved the bright sun brother best of all in heaven or earth the home of balder was a place with silver flood with silver roof and pillars of gold and nothing unclean or impure was allowed to come inside its doors very wise in all magic charms was the radiant young god and for all others save himself he could read the future but to keep his own life safe and see the sun was not granted to him now there was a time when balder's bright face grew sad and downcast when his father odin and his mother frigga perceived this they implored him to tell the cause of his grief then balder told them that he had been troubled by strange dreams and since in those days men believed that dreams sent a warning of what was about to happen he had gone heavily since these visions had come to him first he had dreamt that a dark cloud had risen which came before the sun and shut out all the brightness from the land the next night he dreamt that asgard lay in darkness and that her bright flowers and radiant trees were withered and lifeless and that the Azov folk dull and withered also were sorrowing as though from some great calamity the third night he dreamt yet again that Azza was dark and lifeless and that from out of the gloom one sad voice cried woe 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 for balder the beautiful is dead is dead odin listened to this recital of the story with a heavy heart and at its conclusion he mounted his coal-black horse and rode over many a hard toilsome road till he came back to the dark abode of hella and there he saw to his surprise the great banquet was being prepared in the gloomy hall 
Dishes of gold were sent upon the table, and all the couches were covered with the richest silken tapestry, as though some honored guest were expected, but a throne that stood at the end of the table was empty. Very thoughtful, Odin rode on through those dim halls till he came to one where dwelt an ancient prophetess, whose voice no man had heard for many a long year. Silent he stood before her, until she asked in a voice that sounded as though it came from far away, Who art thou, and who whence dost thou come to trouble my long rest? Now Odin was fearful that she would not answer him, did he give his real name. So, so he told her that he was the son of Vatim, and asked anxiously for whom the grim goddess of death was preparing her banquet. Then, to his great grief, the hollow voice of the prophetess replied that Baldur was, was the expected guest, and that he would shortly be sent hither, slain by the hand of Hondur, the blind god of darkness. Who then, asked Odur, Odin, in sorrowful tones, shall avenge the death of Baldur? And she answered that the son of the earth goddess, Val by name, should neither comb his raven hair, nor wash his visage in the stream, nor see the sun's departing beam, till he on Hondur's course shall smile, flaming on the funeral pile. And learning thus of the fate of his two favorite sons, all Father Odin went sadly back to Asgard. Meantime, Mother Frigga had not been idle. Filled with anxiety for her darling son, she decided to send her servants through the earth bidding them exact a promise from all things not only living creatures but plants stones and metals fires waters trees diseases of all kind that they would not in no way harm that they would harm in no way balder the beautiful theirs was an easy task for all things loved the bright sun god and readily agreed to give the pledge nothing was overlooked save only the mistletoe Growing upon the oak tree that shaded the entrance to Valhalla, it seemed so insignificant that no one thought it worth while to ask this plant to take the oath. The servants returned to Frigga with all the vows and compacts that had been made, and the mother of gods and men went back with heart at ease to her spinning wheel. The Azafok too were reassured and casting aside the burden of care that had fallen upon them, they resumed their favorite game upon the plains of Idiovod, where they were wont and content with one another in throwing the golden discs. Then And then it became known among them that nothing would hurt Baldur the Beautiful. They invented a new game. Placing the young sun god in their midst, they would throw stones at him, or thrust at him with their knives, or strike with wooden staves, and the wood or the knife and stone would glance off Baldur and leave him quite unhurt. This new game delighted both Baldur and the Azza folk, and so loud was their laughter that Loki, who was some distance away, pursuing one of his schemes in disguise as an old woman, shook with rage at the sound, for Loki was jealous of Baldur, and as in usual with people who make themselves disliked, nothing gave him more displeasure as to see a group of Azas on such happy terms with each other. Presently in the wanderings, Loki passed by the house of Finsair, 
in the doorway which sat Frigga at her spinning wheel. She did not recognize Red Loki, but greeted him kindly and asked, Old woman, dost thou know why the gods are so merry this evening? And Loki answered, They are casting stones and throwing sharp knives at, and great clubs at Balder the Beautiful, who stands smiling in their midst, daring, the, daring them to hurt him. Then Frigga smiled tranquilly and turned again to her wheel, saying, Let them play on, for no harm will come to him whom all things in heaven and earth have sworn not to hurt. Dost out sure, good mother, that all things in heaven and earth have taken the vow? Indeed, replied Frigga, all save the harmless little plant, the mistletoe, which grows on the oak by Valhalla, and this is far too small, too weak, and too weak to be feared. And to, to this Loki replied in amusing voice, nodding his head as he spoke, Ye, thou art right, great mother of gods and men. But the wicked Asa had learnt what he desired to know. The instrument by which he might bring harm to Balder the Beautiful was now awaiting him, and he determined to use it to draw to the dire sorrow of Asgard. Hastened to the western gate of Valhalla, he pulled a clump of the mistletoe from the ark, and fashioned therefore a little wand or stick, and with his in hand he returned it to the plain of the plain of Idavoid. He he was far too cunning, however, to attempt to carry out his wickedness design himself. His ma his malish heart was too well known to the Asa folk, but he soon found an innocent tool. Leaning against a tree and taking no part in the game was Hondur, the blind god, the twin brother of Balder, and to him he began. Hark to the Asas, how they laugh. Do you take no share in the game, good Halder? Not I, said Halder gloomily, for I am blind and know not where to throw. I could show you that, said Loki, assuming a pleasant tone. Tis no hard matter, Halder. Methinks the Asas would call you proud and haughty if you take no share in the fun. But I have nothing to throw, said poor blind Halder. And then Loki said, Here at least is a small step. A small shaft to serve you with purpose, and leading innocent Holder into the ring, he cunningly guided his aim. Holder was pleased to be able to share in the game with his beloved brother, boldly sped the shaft, expecting to hear the usual shouts of joyous laughter which greeted all in such attempts. There, there fell instead dead silence on his ear, and immediately on the followed a wail of bitter agony. For Balder the Beautiful had fallen dead without a groan, his heart transfixed by the little dart of mistletoe. So on the floor lay Balder the dead, and round lay thickened strewn words, axe darts and spears, which all the gods in sport had idly thrown, at Balder whom no weapon pierced or clove, but in his breast stood fixed the fatal blow of mistletoe which Loki the accuser gave to Hondur, and unwittingly honed her through against that alone had Balder's life no charm dreading he knew not what holder stood in doubt for some moments but soon the meaning of that bitter wail and borne in upon him piercing the clouds of darkness in which he always moved 
he opened wide his arms as though to clasp the beloved form and then with i have slain thee my brother despair seized him and he fell prostrate in utter grief meantime the azar folk crowded round the silent form of balder weeping and wailing but alas their moans and tears could not bring balder back at length all father odin whose grief was too deep lamentations bade to be silent and prepare to bear the body of the dead Asa to the seashore the unhappy holder unable to take part in these last offices made his way sadly through asgard beyond the walls and along the seashore until he came to the house of finsir frigga was seated upon her seat of honor before the fire against the inner hall and standing before her with bent head and woeful sightless gaze hunder told her of the dread mishap that had befallen tell me o mother he cried in ending and his voice sounded like the wail of the winds on stormy nights tell me is there aught i can do to bring my brother back or can i make agreement with the dread mother of the underworld giving my life in exchange for his woe crowded upon woe and the heart of frigga as she listened to the story the doom was wrought that she had tried so vainly to avert and not even her mother's love had availed to safeguard the son so dearly cherished on bladder's death hath lain her mind not thee my son she said yet though we fail in the end there is much that may be tried before all hope is lost then she told holder of the road by which the abode of helena could be reached one which had been travelled by none since none living save odin himself who goes that way must take no other horse to ride but sceptre odin's horse alone nor must he choose that common path of gods which every day they come and go in heaven or the brit's bridge bit frost where helmenda's watch but he must tend a dark untravelled road which branches from the north of heaven and ride nine days nine nights toward the northern ice though valleys deep engulfed with roaring streams and he will reach on the tenth morn a bridge which spans the golden arches golden stream there he will journey through the lighted land nor see the sun arise nor see it set and he must fare across the dismal ice northwards until he meets a stretching wall bearing his way and in the wall a grate but then he must dismount on the ice tighten the girths of the silpern odin's horse and make his leap the gate and come with there in that cheerless abode dead balder was enthroned but it said frigga who was brave that dread journey must take no heed of him nor of the sad ghost flitting to and fro like eddying leaves first he must accost the great gloomy queen and entreat her with the prayers telling her all the grief they have in heaven for balder who she holds right by now below a bitter groan and anguish escaped from hunder when frigga had finished her recital of the trials which must be undergone mother a dreadful way as thou showest no journey for a sightless god to go and she replied thyself thou shalt not go my son but he whom first thou meets 
when thou comest to Asgard, and declare this hidden way, shall go, and I will be his guide unseen. Meantime the Asa folk had filled trees and had carried to the seashore outside the walls of Asgard a great pile of fuel, which they laid upon the deck of Baldur's great ship Ringhorn, as it lay stranded high upon the beach, seventy ells and four extended, on the grass of the vessel's keel, high above it glit and splendid, rose the figurehead, furious with its crest of steel. When they adorned the funeral pie with the garlands of flowers with golden vessels, and rings with finely wrought weapons, and rich necklaces and armlets, and when this alone, and when this was done, they carried out their fair body of Baldur the Beautiful, and bearing it reverently upon their shields, they laid it upon the pry. Then they tried to launch the good ship, but so heavily laden was she that she could not stern her an inch. The mounting giants from their heights afar had watched the tragedy with eyes that were not unpitying, for even they had no ill will for Balder, and they sent and they sent and told of giantess called Herokin, who was so strong that she could launch any vessel, whatever weight it may be. So the Aza sent to fetch her from giant land, and she soon came riding a wolf for a steed and twisted serpents for reins. She alighted Odin, ordered four of his mightiest warriors to hold the wolf, for he was so strong that they could do nothing until the giant had thrown him down and bound him fast. Then, with a few enormous strides, Herokin reached the great vessel and set her shoulder against the prow, leading the ship rolling into the deep. The earth shook with the force of the movement as though with an earthquake, and the Aza folk collided with one another like pine trees during a storm. The ship, too, with its precious weight, was well nigh lost, and this Thor was wroth and seizing his hammer could have slain the giantess had not the other Azas held him back, bidding him not forget the last duty to the dead god. So Thor hollowed the pry with a torch of his sacred hammer and kindled it with a thorn twig, which was the emblem of sleep. Last of all, before the pry blazed up, all Father Odin added the pile of offerings to his magic ring, which fell eight new rings every ninth night, and behold, he whispered in Baldin's ear, but none to this day know the words that Odin spake thus in the ear of his dead son. Then the flames from the prior rose high, and the great ship drifted out to sea, and the winds caught the sail and fanned the flames, till it seemed as though the sky and sea were wrapped in golden flame. And while they gazed, the sun went lurid down into the smoke-wrapped sea, and sight came on. But though the dark they watched the burning ship still carried o'er the distant watchers, but fainter as the stars rose high, it flared, and as in a decaying winter fire, o charred long falling rocks, a shower of sparks. So with a shower of sparks the pile fell in, reddening the sea round and all was dark and thus did balder the beautiful pass from the peaceful steads of asgard 
as past the sun when he paints the evening clouds with the glory of his setting the wonderful corn stones by julia goodard once upon a time there was a king of denmark or gotland and it was then called whose name was frotai he was a great grandson of the god thor and a very mighty king and whenever the danish language was spoken there was frotai's name honored and respected among his treasures were two queen stones nothing much to look at simply two common milestones in appearance and no one who did not know what they were could what they could do would think of taking them at any note when could and no one who did not know what they could do would think of taking any notice of them nevertheless these corn stones were of more worth than anything that king frotai had for they could produce anything that the grinder or the queer or hand mill wished for they would bring gold silver precious stones anything and everything and besides this they could grind love joy peace therefore it is not too much to say that these stones were worth more than all the treasures of the king put together at least they would have been if he could have made use of them but they were so heavy that few could be found to turn the corn and just as the time of which i am speaking there was no one at all in the land of gotland able to work away the corn handle now the more king frotai pondered over his wonderful queen stones the greater became his desire to use them and he sought throughout the land from north to south from east to west and perchance he might find someone strong enough to help him in his need but all to no purpose and he was utterly in despair when by good luck he happened to go on a visit to Fornier, king of sweden Filinir, king of sweden and to hear of two slave women of great size and strength surely thought frotine that these are just the women to grind my queen groti for so it was called and he asked king Fornier to allow to see them so king Fornier ordered the slaves to be brought before frotai and when frotai saw them his spirits rose for certainly mina and farina were strong-looking women they were eight feet in height and broad across the shoulders that any of frotini's warriors and the muscles of their arms stood like cords as they lifted heavy weights and threw heavy javelins and did so many feats of strength that frotai felt quite sure that they would be able to turn the corn handle i will buy these slaves he said and take them with me to gotland melina and firna stood with their arms folded and their proud heads bowed down while frotina continued out the gold and silver counted out the gold to the seller they were slaves with money had they been bought with money were they sold again what cared frotina who was their father or how they had come into the land of sweden and he took them home with him and bade them grind the corn now he should be able to test the power of the wonderful stones grind grind mina and frina let me see whether you have the strength for the work 
So spake the king Fratai, and the huge women lifted the heavy stone as they, as though they had been pebbles. What shall we grind? asked the slaves. Gold, gold, peace and wealth for Frotai. Gold, gold. The land was filled with riches, treasures in the king's palace, treasures in the coffers of his subjects. Gold, gold. There were no poor in the land, no beggars in the streets, no children crying for bread, all honor to the corn stones. Peace, peace. No more war in the land. Frotai is at peace with every one, and more than that, there was peace in all countries where Frotai's name was known, even to the far south, and everyone talked of Froti's peace. Praise be to the queen stones. Wealth, yes, everything went everything went well. Not one of the councils of King's Frotai's failed. There was not a green field that did not yearn a rich crop, not a tree but bent beneath its weight of fruit, not a stream that ran dry, not a vessel that sailed from the harbors of Gotland that came not back after a fair voyage in safety to its haven. There was good luck everywhere. Grind on, grind on, Melina and Furna. Good fortune is mine, said King Frotai. The slaves ground on. We shall, we shall, we rest. When shall we rest? When may we rest, King Frotai? It is weary work, toiling day and night, no longer whilst the cuckoo is silent in the spring. Never ceasing in the cry of the cuckoo and the groves, may we not rest longer? Not longer, answered King Frotai. Thou, whilst the verse is a song, is sung. But that is but little, sighed Melina and Frina, and they toiled on. Their arms were weary, their eyes heavy, and they would fain to have slept, but Frotai would not let them have any sleep. They were but slaves who must obey their master. So they toiled on, grinding peace and wealth to Frotai. To Frotai and his queen, joy and peace, may plenty in the land still increase Frotai and his queen, from dangerous keep may they on beds of down sweetly sleep, sweetly sleep, no sword be drawn, and Gotland old by murder bold, no harm fell, the high or low, to none be woe, good luck to all, good luck to all, we grind, we grind, no rest we find, for rest we call. Thus sang the two giant women, there when they begged again, give us rest, O Fortai, but still Fortai answered, Rest while the verse of a song is sung, or as long as the cuckoo is silent in the spring. No longer would the king give them. Yet Frotai was deemed a good king, but gold and good luck were hardly, were hardening his heart. Mina and Frina went on grinding, and their wrath grew deeper and deeper, and thus at last they spoke. First said Frina, Thou were not wise, O Fratai. O Fratai. Thou didst buy us because, like giants, we towered above the other slaves, because we were strong and hardy and could lift heavy burdens. And Mina took up the whale. Are we not in the race of the mounting giants? Are we not kindred greater than thine, O Fratai? The queen had never left the grave fell, but for the giant's daughters. Never, never should we have ground as we have done, had it not been that we remembered from what race we sprang. Then answered Mina, Nine long winters saw us training to feast on the strength, nine long winters of wearisome labor, 
Deep down in the earth we toiled and toiled until we could move the high mountain from its foundation. We are weird women over a time. We can see far into the future. Our eyes have looked upon the queen before in the giant's house, and we whirled it until the earth shook and hoarse thunder surrounded through the caverns. Thou art not wise, O Frotai, Frotai, thou is not wise. But Frotai heard them not. He was sleeping the sweet sleep that the queen stone had ground for him. Strong are we indeed, laughed Rina sorrowfully, strong to contend with the puny men whose pastime in Sweden was to tame the fiercest bears so that they ate from their hands. We who fought with mighty warriors and came off conquerors, we who helped the one prince and put down another while we fought, and many were the wounds we received from sharp spears and flashing swords. Forte knows not of our power, or he would scarce have brought us to his palace and treat us thus. He, no one has compassion upon us. Cold are the skies above us, and the pitless winds beat on our breasts. Cold is the ground on which we stand, and the kern frost bites our feet. Ah, there is none to pity us. No one cares for the slaves. We grind forever an enemy's quern, and he gives us no rest. Grind, grind, I am weary of grinding. I must have rest. Nay, returned Mina, talk not of rest until Frote is content with what we bring him. Then Frina started, if he gives us no rest, let us take it ourselves. Why should we any longer grind good for him who only gives us evil? We can grind what we please. Let, the reven let us revenge ourselves. Then Mena turned the handle quicker than ever, and in a wild voice she sang, I see a ship come sailing with warriors bo bold abroad. There would be many that in Danish blood would be glad to dip his sword. Say shall we grind them hither, say shall we grind to-night, say shall we set fire to the palace, say shall we win the fight. Then called Fina in a voice of thunder through the midnight air, Frotai, Frotai, awake, whilst thou not listen to us, have mercy and let us rest our weary limbs. But all was still, and Frotai gave no answer to the cry. Nay, answered Mina, he who has not hearkened, Little he cares for the worn-out slaves. Revenge, revenge. And Frotai slept, not dreaming of the evil that was coming upon him. And again Furnier shouted, Frotai, Frotai, wake. The beacon is blazing. Danger is nigh. Will thy not spare? But Frotai gave no answer, and the giant women toiled on. Frotai, Frotai, we cannot bear our weariness. And still no answer came. Frotai, Frotai, danger is nigh thee. Well, manned ships are gliding over the sea. It is Missinger who comes. His white sail flutters in the wind. His flag is unfurled. Fotai, Fotai, awake, awake. Thou shalt be king no longer. And as the giant women ground, the words they spake came to pass. They were grinding revenge for themselves and brought the enemy near and near. Oh, hearken to be herald. Fotai, Fotai, the town is on fire. The palace will soon be ruins heap. Grind Mina ever so swiftly until we grind death to Frotai. And Melina and Frenai ground and ground till Messinger and his fellows landed from the ships. They ground until they had reached the palace. 
To arms, to arms, shouted the wanderer, but it was too late. Gutlanders armed themselves, but who could stand against the army that the slave women were grinding against them? Not long did the struggle last, for Ty and his Godlanders fought bravely, but the sea king and his allies were mightier, for the giantess were in giant mood, and turned the handle faster and faster, until down fell the quern stones and sank, and Frothi pierced with wounds, and the fight was over. The army that Melina and Ferna had ground to help Messir vanished, and Messinger and his men were alone left conquered on the bloody field. They loaded their ship with treasure, and Messinger took with him Mina and Frina the and the queer stones. But alas, Messinger was no wiser than King Frate had been. Gold, however, was not his first that. He had enough of that, but he wanted something else that just then was more to him than gold. There was no salt on board the ship, aboard the sea king's vessel, and he said, grind salt, and Melina and Fiona ground salt for Minir. At midnight they asked if they had ground enough, and Miser bade them grind on. And so they ground and ground until the ship was so heavy with salt that it sank, and the sea king and all his men were drowned. Where the queer stone went down, there is to this day a great whirlpool, and the waters of the sea have been salt ever since. Well, I want to thank you for coming out to this uh, this recording of the Fortations Lecture Tape podcast. I'll I'll be live tomorrow again with another reading, and I'll see everyone later. Bye bye.